From the moment we're born and lock eyes with our parents, we are inspiring others. By showing up as a vessel of service, we not only help others, we help ourselves. Welcome to SOS Stories of Service, hosted by Teresa Carpenter, hear from ordinary people from all walks of life who have transformed their communities by performing extraordinary work. Hello, everybody. Happy New Year's Day. Uh, welcome to 2023. No better time to start off with a new podcast. And I wanted to introduce you guys to a very, very special guest. We always have amazing guests on the Stories of Service podcast, Ordinary People Who Do Extraordinary Work. I'm Teresa Carpenter. And Liz Hensel. Liz, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you. I feel like I'm finally kind of getting back to the shows that are near and dear to my heart. And those are <laughs> shows about animals. So if you guys have been following me for some time now, you'll know that um, I really got my start on social media and advocacy uh, doing animal protection causes, uh, starting off with you know commercial breeding and puppy mills. And I've been able to do that in a few different states that, that I've lived in. And it has been such an incredible experience. But I never thought, and that's I'm just going to start with this, I never thought that I was going to be somebody who was actually um, subject to an issue uh, that affects military families. Uh, and that is moving with pets. So for those of you who don't know anything about this issue, it is incredible incredibly hard in the military to move with animals. Uh, up until what we're about to talk about, uh, there was no sort of help from the military. There was occasionally you could get a chartered flight. Uh, certain countries would, would you could fly in and out, not the UK, by the way, but some countries you could. Uh, but other than that, there was not much uh, support or help. Most people had to rely on nonprofits. And that's where people like Liz come in. So I'm going to read you guys a little bit about her bio, and then we're just going to get right into her work and her story. So on today's show, we're going to be talking about how you can make meaningful and lasting change in your respective community, and especially how to overcome congressional barriers, because I do believe that we all can make a difference. Liz Hensel was born in Lima, Peru. And as an immigrant, she grew up with a sense of patriotism, which led her to enlist in the Marine Corps. After leaving the military, she joined the reserves where she is still serving today. She owns her own business, Picnics by the Lake in Cleveland, Ohio. And she is the CEO of Leave No Paws USA, a nonprofit dedicated to advocating for military families and their pets, which actually pushed, and this is what we're going to talk about a lot today, the pet transportation fees to be included and waived up to a certain amount in the 2023 National Defense Authorization Act. She also hosts her own podcast. It's called Latina She Served, interviewing community influencers, and she is a mother, wife, and currently pursuing her doctorate in acupuncture. Welcome, Liz. Hey, that's me. <laughs> oh, my dogs are here too. Um, so if you hear barking in the background, I apologize in advance. The no. little one likes to bark a lot. Um, but thank you so much for having me on the podcast to talk about this issue. Well, I'm just so happy that you agreed to do this show. I was kind of hoping at some point we would meet up in person because I just, oh gosh, I, I have so much respect and admiration for your work and what you've been able to accomplish here. And so before we get into all that, I first want to just get a little bit about your origin story. Uh, what inspired you to join the Marines? And, and tell me a little bit about, about that journey. Sure. So I went to high school in Cleveland, Ohio, James Moore Rhodes, class of 06, and I was in the NJROTC program. And so I knew, I knew from a very young age that I was going to join the military. I've always been called to join the military. And I had originally wanted to join the Navy because the commercial got me the travel in the world. So I was like, oh, right, right. Yeah, I'm going to travel. Um, but then um, during one of my ROTC classes, we have, um, we had like every Friday they would bring in like current events. They would bring in the news and they were talking about uh, Corporal Jason um, Dunham. And at the time um, they were talking about he was being, he was going to be nominated for a Medal of Honor. And they were reading um, a, a part of his citation, and 
when they talked about how he just, without hesitating, took out his Kevlar, you know, put it over the grenade and to protect his Marines without any hesitation, there was something about that selfless action that made me realize that this is the kind of organization I want to be a part of, where without hesitation, I know that I would, you know, take one for the Marines to the left and the right of me, and that they would do the same for me. Um, and that was, that sealed the deal for me. I joined when I was 17 and went to boot camp in 06, right after uh, high school. Uh, and then my mother was not very happy with that decision. <laughs> she <laughs> right. I mean, I got to college. Oh, like, um, a young girl. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but, you know, supported me throughout. And now here we are, 15 years later. Um, and... You know, I love being the Marine. The Marine Corps has opened me to so many opportunities. I keep growing, not only as a Marine, but as a person. And I'm just super, super lucky for all the opportunities that they have, that they offered me, you know? What is your job in the Marines? I am a 3043 Supply Administration Specialist. Nice. All right. So you got a little bit of that business side, too. Uh, I do. With that type of job, as well as with what you're doing on the outside. And... So tell me a little bit about your journey uh, with animals, how you got started in causes uh, of impacting animals and, and where, what, you know, what was the, what, what sparked that? So my husband got orders to California in 2018 and 2017, 2017. And when we moved to California, I was still, um, I was injured in Afghanistan. I was hit by a car and I have a traumatic brain injury. And my, I wasn't 100% stable yet at this time. I was still having a lot of residual effects, especially with seizures and with uh, post-traumatic post stress. And the post-traumatic stress was pretty intense. Like I couldn't leave my house. It was, it was very... It was, it was just really interfering with my everyday lifestyle, especially being a mom, you know, like I have kids mm -hmm. who go to like soccer and stuff and just kind of putting on this brave face to leave the house was a lot. Um, and so a friend of mine recommended getting a service dog. And so in California, we got matched up with an organization where they work with local shelters to try to find a service dog with a veteran. And that is how I got matched to Prince. And we did service dog training for about a year. And he is, his tasks, he's able to, um, uh, whenever I have a, a seizure event, which I haven't had in like the last three years, <laughs> let's keep it that way. Yes, yes. Um, he, he, can, he can start detecting when that's going to happen. And he starts giving me signals to either sit down or lay down. Um, whenever I have a panic or anxiety attack, he has a uh, specific taskers of what to do to kind of put me back in an okay zone. Like, I think it's why he's sitting right next to me right now. He's like, oh, you're doing an interview. Let me just here, let me put a full screen so people can see. I'd love for people to oh see. My goodness. see. Yeah, let me oh, see. oh, oh, see, there we go. There's oh. Prince. Oh, yeah. So cute. Yeah, he's a, he, he's, he is a superstar of all this. Um, so, uh, uh, we were in California. I had uh, entered a graduate um, school and, you know, things were really great there. And then my husband deployed. And I'll never forget this day because I was washing the dishes and he calls me and he's like, hey, I got orders. But, like, this is why he's deployed. And I was like, oh, I thought we still had like another year left in California. He's like, yep, nope, we are leaving in six months. We're going to Japan. I'm like, what? <laughs> like Japan um I had we first we were very fortunate that we even found out six months in advance most right. people there's a lot of service members that. that don't they they, they 90 days yes. out they, they find out that they're exactly so the fact that we even had that much notice kind of made our situation different from the get-go because mm -hmm. it gave me a lot of leverage to yeah. figure out a lot of things out so mm -hmm. Immediately, I go into research mode. Uh, schools in Japan for the kiddo, you know, and then what do I need to do to get Prince over to Japan? And this is where I start researching. This is where I start asking in all of, like, the military spouses forums, like, you know, advice for bringing, you know, your pet over. Yeah. And this is where I discovered that everyone had something different to say. 
There was no, no story that was the same. There was no support from the military side. It was almost like um, you could literally have everything correct, all your T's crossed, all your I's dotted, show up at the AMC terminal and they, they can reject you. Like there, there's no, there was nothing in place. There was no policy in place. The only thing we knew was that the Rotator or the Patriot Express has five pet spots. And I think that has increased to 10 now. But at the time it was five pet spots. It was a first comes first served basis. And then um, there were, uh, what was it? It, it wasn't like five spots, like just for the Marine Corps. It's five spots, all branches of service fighting for these five spots during PECF season. So it's like, like I said, because we knew six months in advance, we were ahead of the game. But it made me think about the people who have 90 days, 30 days, like they're SOL. Like they, they have mm -hmm. no time. They, they can't compete with that. And so that just, ugh, that started like not sitting well with me. So I created a survey monkey and I created a survey that I blasted out through all this military spouses community. And I started gathering data and I started gathering stories like different branches of service, what they go through because the administrative process for the Marine Corps is different from the Navy, the Air Force, the Army. There's, there's just, there's no uh, one-stop shop. Everyone has a different process. And so reading that, it, it really, it just like the red flags were going everywhere in my head. I'm like, this isn't right. This can't, this shouldn't be this hard. It's, yeah. It's like, and then not like, to mention the people with the snub nose breeds like mine mm -hmm. who can't fly in the summertime, which is PCS season. So there's that. And then trying to figure out, well, what do you do in yeah. that case? That oh my was my specific issue i mean um, we had um just this last summer we had the tragic death of kobe you know going arriving to okinawa um and he wasn't the only one there were other deaths of pets this past summer it, it was it was awful it was like this should just never had happened and it gets so so hot when you travel during these right. summer months you know and, and so preventable deaths because there are climate controlled areas that yeah. these animals can be kept in yeah. And even when they've done those snub nosed breed research studies, which Carrie Mendoza came on my podcast and talked about this, they've been able to trace it back to basically very few breeds, like English bulldogs, um, maybe certain pugs. But what the airlines have done is they've just put a huge swath, uh, even like certain Persian cats are mm -hmm. prohibited and they haven't been dying in flights. So yeah. it, it's an it's a unscientific uh, way for the airlines to just reduce the risk as much as possible. And that adversely impacts service members who then, like you said, now have to compete for those 10 to 20 slots on the Patriot flights. Yeah, exactly. the charter jets that the military uh, uses for PCS. And then there's a price, right? You wanna get on one of those spots because it's a very, very cheap price. I think it's like $250 or something like that for a pet. I think it, de it depends on the size of your pet. That's what the fee is going to depend on. But that is compared to $3,000, which was the average of what these families were paying to bring their pets over. That's why these spots are so coveted. You want to get your spot. And they have the temperature control area to where uh, a weight restriction isn't that big of a deal, especially for bigger breed dogs like German Shepherds. <laughs> you know right, so right. you know we we were really 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 you know fortunate because prince was a service dog he's retired now he still has like um he still he still like he can still track me yeah. but like we don't we don't i don't make him work anymore but at the time he was working all the time and we if you're on the patriot express ada still you're still under ada Amer any American coded airline follows the ADA. So we had a spot on the rotator, but a typhoon had hit Japan. So they canceled the flight and they booked us commercial. Again, no issues. He flew in cabin with us. He was like service dog perfection, command, like 
he was on his A game. I couldn't be more prouder. And I was super nervous because it was his first time on a plane. So he was just perfect. And then you land in Japan or whatever country you're going to, and ADA goes out the window. You know, oh, we're does. not in America anymore. Yeah. So and you have, have to, to what that airline, not only that airline, but you have to check with that airport, their airport yeah. pet customs mm -hmm. office requires, which exactly. could be completely different than what the U.S. requires. And we just had an incident recently where even the military vets don't know what the requirements are in certain countries. And that's sad. It, it really is. And, and it's, it's, it sort of goes back to the fact that the military veterinarians, they're not there primarily for pets. They're there they're for military working dogs. Yep. And they provide pet services on almost like a space available basis. Yeah. Um, yeah. The only, so I think the only pet that gets priority are the, like the military working dogs. And so, so, yeah, you were able to get your pet, but you, didn't just think about this in terms of your pet, did you? No, no. It just, um, I mean, even though we were very fortunate with what happened with our situation, you know, it was still very stressful. And it was, and, it, and technically ours was a smooth process and it was still very stressful. Like mm -hmm. imagining having all like the hiccups along the way, plus the stress, plus your packing up a household, you're getting kids ready. You have to get medically ready too to go to whatever country you're going to. So I really started advocating for OCONUS location outside the continental United States. So this includes Hawaii and Alaska, right? So that that was my focus. I talked it over to my husband with my husband, and I was like, you know, this does not sit well with me. You know, I think I want to reach out to my contacts on the hill and see what we can do because the fact that these families are paying. $3,000. There was a family um, who had a Great Dane, and they paid like $12,000 to bring their dogs with them overseas because of how, like, it's, it's mm -hmm. you know, the size of the pet, but it's part of their family. And when I very first started advocating for this cause, the amount of people that told me, no, this is stupid. I don't want my tax paying, like, paying money to go towards this cause, you know. I just, you know, like, you know, I respect, you know, your comments, but I'm going to continue and fighting and advocating because these pets are not just a pet. They're part family. of our family. You know, they're part, they're of, our part of our household. Like yeah, I, I even said, I will gladly give up whatever pounds for my household goods if it means more space to bring my dog, <laughs> you know? Right. Oh, totally. And I don't think people understand that. I used to like look at Jada and I had these thoughts about like what it would mean to give her up because we couldn't figure this one out and mm -hmm. it would just break my heart. Like yeah. I, I was seriously like, I knew this was an opportunity of a lifetime to come to the UK, but in the back of my mind, I was so afraid of what was going to happen to Jada. And especially because at the time UK was considering a bill that was going to ban the import and they're still considering it ban the importation of dogs with cropped ears and docked tails, which is something that the breeders, sadly, I don't agree with it, uh, still do in the United States. And so because of that, I was terrified she wouldn't even be allowed in the country. I was like going to vets and like trying to get them to say that she had cropped ears and docked tail when they would examine her. I did actually have a vet mm -hmm. say that so that I could prove if maybe there was going to be some weird exemption. I was writing all these different people in parliament here, mm -hmm. I was contacting anyone that I could to try to get better understanding of what the exemptions were going to be. Um, yeah. If if this bill passed, I mean that the 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 the, the crop ears and docktail issue was probably more stressful for me than the other issue. But then the other issue was so stressful because we were training her to be a service dog, and I didn't know if she was going to be ready by the time mm -hmm. we came. I mean, just even yeah. thinking about it, reflecting back on the stress of it, it, it was terrible. It was absolutely yep. terrible. I, I would seriously wouldn't sleep at night because I was just so worried about what we were going to do. And that's obviously what spurred you to to talk to your to the Congress representatives. Now, tell me a little bit about how you knew that that was an option or something that you could do. So first, I started the organizations. First, I started Leave No Falls Behind USA. And because I figured if I have a platform, 
then I have more of like, hey, I am the CEO of this organization and this is what we're trying to do, right? This is- Did you know anything about our mission? Nonprofit? Sorry to interrupt, <laughs> but did you know anything about how to start a nonprofit? Nah. I just Googled. <laughs> I just Googled. I researched. I called friends who had nonprofits. And, you know, I I poked their brains, like, how do I start with this? Um, and the, for the first year for Leave No Pause Behind, because what we do is we provided, well, we still provide financial grants for uh, active duty military families who are going to OCONUS locations. Uh, aside from that, we do, like, um, grants for like crate accessories uh we do like vet fees and then we launched our pet companion program where we have a volunteer personally escort that pet to wherever the pcs destination is um and so for the first year i actually self-funded leave no pause behind usa because uh rookie mistake i was very shy or not shy i don't know hesitant maybe hesitant to ask for money and my friend was like, Liz, you're a nonprofit organization. Like, you literally have to ask for yeah, money. You have yeah. to get comfortable asking for money. Um, and so I did. You know, I was like, I, I thought about the big picture of where I, what, how many families we want to help. And I'm like, I can't do that by myself. So that's when I really started, you know, really putting myself out there. And with that, it was reaching out to my members of Congress. Um, so I've had plenty of meetings and at the time we were still living in Japan and then COVID hit. So it became really, really hard to have these, even through Zoom, it was really hard because everyone was having meetings through Zoom. So I was mostly emailing with staffers and I was letting them know the situation. I had gathered the data from the SurveyMonkey and had made um, informational charts and just made a whole like <laughs> media kit of like you know this is how much people this is the average of what families are paying for and you know trying to advocate for like the lower enlisted because i'm like regardless of what rank you are paying three to five thousand dollars that's a lot of money for for anyone yeah. But then you especially think about the lower enlisted who are just starting off their career, who probably are just like newlyweds and going to an overseas location. And now you're asking this young couple to leave their dog behind or cat behind because they just can't afford it. They can't afford three, four thousand dollars at a like E3, E4 pay. Like no. it's just not happening, right? And, and just to to, to 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 plug in real quick, Zarina uh, Fleming says uh, such a great cause. I recently found about we are heading Japan, and unfortunately, our French bulldog is banned. And Zarina, please follow up with us after because um, I, I do think there are still ways. If I'm, I didn't know the Patriot uh, banned uh, any 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 dogs. I thought that they do allow snub nose breeds. I, I thought that was one of their provisions, especially after that death. Um, because I know in the UK they've they've started a Patriot ex Express here, yeah. and uh, the snub nose breeds are not banned. So uh, please follow up with myself or Liz afterwards, and, and yeah. I'd love to talk yeah, to you for more sure. about that. Okay, for sure. Um, so you know, and so that's that's why I started really spearheading this, and then my husband received orders back to Quantico, Virginia, which is where we are now, and since coming back to the states it's been two years now i think that we've been back i have been having meetings and with not only members of congress but with other or, um nonprofit organizations that kind of tie in with like pet support um with military families and then through a mutual friend i got a uh, direct contact for senator cory booker and so i met with his staffer and it was an immediate yes wow so uh, was, was that in person like when you got zoom. it was zoom it was through it was zoom. zoom yeah and the staffer was like you you, you proposed how did you propose the solution like so, did you say yeah like you yeah. basically just went with the problem like tell, tell me what how you did it so i so based on all the information that i gathered i proposed for OCONUS, for OC, for active duty of families who have OCONUS orders to get a stipend. I or originally proposed a $3,500 stipend because even if it didn't cover the entire of the transportation cost, it would cover a big chunk. 
And then you have organizations like um, the Na uh, Marine Corps Navy Relief Society, and the, I think the Air Force has their own version of that, where they can do interest-free loans to kind of cover the rest, right? <clears throat> so I'm like, this could be this could be a huge stepping stone for these families. And so that was it. That was my original ask. I was like, I think that this is this is something that we need to fight for our families. Like pets are are such an important part of our household. And then by this time I had gotten a staff. I hired a administrative staff, administrative manager and a social media manager. And my admin manager, Kayla, she gathered so much information on um the mental health aspect of having a pet and we kind of pitched it in the way of like you know we, in the long run we can be saving uh the government money because you know if you are if keeping this pet together will help me with my mental health that's something less that i have to ask for at the end of this military career right especially with the va like mental health yeah. is a big thing so but I didn't even have to get that far. I remember just saying, like, yeah, military families are paying like three, five, seven, eight thousand dollars to keep their pets together. Like, this is completely out of pocket. And yeah. they were like, oh, that's not right. I'm like, I know. That's what I've been saying. <laughs> like, it's, it's not right that these families who do not have a choice in the matter, you know, like, if you, if you, if E5 gets told you're going to Korea, they're not going to say no, thank you. Like, you right. know, like, yes, they have to go. They're, this isn't a choice. You know, like you, the mission comes first, right? I'm really so, surprised is that you didn't get the local shelters involved. Like some of the shelters from these different overseas duty stations that have to take on all the discarded. Oh, Japan. I have a contact in Japan who, um, who told me how many pets that have gotten abandoned. Um, because of the situation they just can't afford to bring the pet back home they can't and so they just they just leave them there's so many we call them the base straits you know who are just when the community takes care of them but it it it, it puts kind of like um it puts, uh, sorry my dog. hey it's, it's okay they're emotional about this topic too <laughs> it's okay sorry no it's all good Queenie, Queenie, come here come here Sorry. No. Nope. They have things to say too. Yes. Yes. But this is um, a very tough issue, I think, all around for everyone. It is because it it it's when we are when we go to these Oconus locations, we are guests, right? That's why we have the sofa status agreements. Um, and so it kinda it kind of causes a friction between the local shelters when they see, oh, well, we're letting, you know, Americans adopt our pets, but now we're finding these pets ab abandoned in the street, you know? So it's like, it, it just, it just did not sit well with me. And that's something, that's a story that I, that I told them as well. And then I also gathered so many stories from so many military families and we presented it as part of our, our our pitch essentially we created a whole like report with our charts and their stories and everything that we have seen and they're like okay let's get started let's let's do something wow. and, and he so wasn't even your senator senator no, Booker. In new no. jersey yeah he's from new wow. jersey i did tell him i drilled in new jersey so i'm like <laughs> i do have a new jersey time <laughs> you know? Sometimes you don't even need it to be your constituent. If you know that that particular congressperson has a passion, or like you said, if, you, if you've if you networked, and, and I think it's important Liz, to point out that you did have contacts because you had worked on the Hill previously. Uh -huh. And so yeah. you were able to work those relationships. And mm -hmm. I think that that's bottom line 101 is that relationships are the glue that makes things happen and gets shit done. I mean- yep. Networking, networking, networking. Yeah keep your contacts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we actually wanted to have this be part of FY22 NDAA, but the language just wasn't done in time. And there was, there was so many back and forth and we wanted to create um, a bill that was going to be completely bipartisan. Like this is going to be a bipartisan issue. We didn't want any chance of it to be rejected. And it just was not ready in time. Yes, yeah, so and there then, wasn't any resistance. In FY22, yeah. you weren't 
that's interesting to note. So it mm -hmm. wasn't because there were people, other Congress people who were saying, no, we don't want to do this. It was mm -hmm. just you guys were going back and forth on the language, getting yeah. the wording just right. Exactly, exactly. And so for FY23, um, the language changed from $3,500 to a $4,000 uh, stipend for OCONUS moves. Um, and then the House pushed it back and lowered that amount to $2,000. Um, and then the final, which is what we saw and what has been signed by the president, is the $4,000. It went back to $4,000 for OCONUS moves and $550 for CONUS moves, which was something I didn't even advocate for. They added that, <laughs> like they uh, they added that um, very last minute, which I think is great, you know, because CONUS move is still a move, but the the more expensive part is the OCONUS move, which is why I was such a huge advocate for that. So the fact that they even included that, we, I mean, I wish we were all surprised by that, but but it just made me think, wow, like someone really dug deep. They dug deep to find out like how big of an issue this is, how big of an expense this is. And the fact that no one has fought for it before, you know, it's like, it's about time. It's about time that yeah. we have this. It is. And it's interesting to me that there've been so many people before you, like uh, my friend, Alyssa Johnson from Dogs on Deployment. There've been mm -hmm. Guardian for Soldiers Pets. There've been all these other organizations that have been working at this issue in some kind of way. But what I think is so amazing about your 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 thing, Liz, is that you weren't this, you weren't the Humane Society of the United States. You weren't PETA. You weren't this giant organization. You, you were literally one person who started a nonprofit. Um, and it just shows the power of understanding the the the, the impact that just one person can have to build a coalition. Tell me a little, I first want to know, do you know why the back and forth happened? Like why it went down to two grand, then it went back up? Like, were you able to follow that? Or how how did you stay informed on how on what was going on in terms of the changes? Um, so I just, I would email the staffers a lot. I just for like for updates, just because though it is, it's, it's a, clearly it was a topic that was talked about. I am very cognizant that there are other areas of the NDAA that were probably took priority. So I was constantly emailing to like, just a, you know, follow up, just a reminder, like, I didn't want this issue to get pushed further down. So I was, I was very annoyingly on top of it. <laughs> and, you know, then that's what you have to do. Like you have, you have to, um, whether they respond to you, or not, at least you know they'll see your name and you, they'll see the topic. But the staff was incredible and they were constantly updating me. And we didn't know, we don't know um, who or why it went back, oh, it went back to $2,000. I'm sure if I asked, I could find that out. But as of right now, I don't know that information. It doesn't really matter, I guess, at this point. Yeah. But wow. Yeah. And so, um, then you also spread awareness through your nonprofit, right? You were able to use kind of the um, the Facebook group. You had a Facebook group. Mm -hmm. You're able to use your personal pages. And I'm sure you had a lot of other people who are calling their congressmen and their senators yeah. and asking, <laughs> yes. right? Yes. Once we knew that this was going to be part of the vote, we absolutely used our social media platforms to have people call their senators. And and this is one of the things that I definitely used to my advantage from previously working on the Hill is because I know that these calls have got to get marked. And the more that an issue gets marked, they have to bring it up to their to their uh, congressperson. So it's just like, you know, like you have to call, like your call matters, like it matters. Like I know a lot of people try to make that joke, oh, you know, call your congressman, like really do call your con your member of Congress. Like you as a constituent voted, voted for them to be in that position. You know, they represent what you, what your cause, what you're fighting for. So I, I mean, I would wash the dishes and I would have like a list. And what I did is I pulled the members of Congress from the um, Armed Forces Committee. So I literally pulled that list, 
from Google. And I went down the list of all of their offices and prepping dinner, like driving my kids to school. I was just like, you know, like, call, let me call this person. Let me call this person. And just like kind of like in a rotation of just like, you know, my name is Liz Hensel and, you know, just do I have my spiel. I have like a little. I, I am the president <laughs> of Leave No Falls Behind USA. Yes, I would and like I'm advocating for this issue. Yes. Such and such to, yes, yeah, yes. And so, like the key words, the key words, you know, Senator Cory Booker's pet transportation bill, please support it. That's like, that's as short as it can be, you know? Um, and so it was just a, a constant, constant, constant call, 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 you know? And I'm sure. I don't know, I might be blacklisted in some of these numbers <laughs> because I've called so much. But, but you know, but here we are. Here we are. We, we definitely, um, as a community, we, we made a difference because though I started the organization, though I advocated for this, I couldn't do this by myself. Like, I couldn't no. do this without the community support, you know. So this was definitely a collective effort to get this passed. I think it's outstanding. And I think that it's long overdue. It's been an issue ever since I got involved in military pet causes, um, obviously way long before then, but be I became made aware of it in 2008. And now we're at two, you know, 2023. And, you know, it's still something that military members struggle with. I mean, there's, there's still other issues with breed bans and other, other things that I, I think we could be better about in the military pet community. I've always felt that some of these major organizations such as PETA and Humane Society of the United States are kind of the, the Goliaths of the animal protection community. Yeah. And I've always felt that they would be so well served if they had a military pet or not even pet, but a military rep you know, liaison or somebody mm -hmm. who worked just on military issues. But I think they, those animal organizations, they really struggle to um, to, to, to break through our, our, our ceiling, our, our, our barrier, so to speak, because, uh, yep. you know, getting through to the military is not easy and getting change within the military is not easy because a lot of people don't understand Liz is that we really don't get to make a lot of the policy decisions in the military as us, as active duty members, it's, it's really Congress who makes those decisions. And so can you tell us a little bit about what, every person can do to get involved? Like, so what are some of the ways that you can start? If you've never been involved in, in civics or any of those mm -hmm. things, what are some of the ways that you, you suggest that people can get involved? I think there's a misconception that because there is a person who is high ranking or have these, um, you know, civil servant roles like congressmen or women or senators that they, that you can't reach them. And that's so untrue. And even so in the military, like in the in the Marine Corps, we have what's called um, writing a white letter. And I'm not quite sure what the equivalent is for the other services, but it's essentially you are proposing a change for the service, you know, like and you are writing your experience kind of like an essay and like and this is why and you have to submit your evidence, you know, and that's a, that's a way that you can make change within your service if you see that something can work better um and even if it doesn't change at least it opens the door to a conversation and at least there's a record of like hey we attempted to you know to say something about this issue as far as your members of congress they are literally there for you their numbers are on their websites don't hesitate like there there's no reason why you can't call and talk about your issue uh, the best way to do to do it is to call the office and ask which staffer is in charge of XYZ topic for me, which off, which which staffer is in charge for military advocacy or military family advocacy. And then they'll give me a name and then I'll get their email and then I'll email that staffer directly. And that's going to be my liaison for this specific topic to the senator. And so that's the best way to do it is find out the like not just talk to anybody but the right person for whatever issue it is you're advocating for hmm. yeah no that's a great point because a lot of times they are getting so many emails and so many phone calls and you have to be very very deliberate and very specific 
in, in, in what it is that you're asking for. Um, I think another recommendation is the importance of working as a coalition, working in a group of people who are also advocating for that same issue. Do you think that was something that helped you guys a lot? Oh, 100 (laughs) percent like definitely when we when we put our call to action to call your members of congress i feel like that was a game changer that was Mm -hmm. a game changer and i think it was it was the collective voices of everyone because it wasn't just coming from virginia it was coming from everywhere in the united states it was coming from families who are currently stationed oconus you know like i currently in korea and i had to leave my dog behind because a xyz like these stories are so impactful because you're hearing them from the source like this is happening in real time right now right oh yeah i uh when i was you know stressing over what what i was going to do about jada <laughs> I, I wrote, I mean, I didn't get a response, but like I said, I didn't do the deliberate uh, follow-up that you're talking about where, you know, that one specific staffer that works that one specific issue. Had I, had I done that and kept following up, I probably would have gotten a response, but I, I did uh, write my, my local congressman woman, um, actually uh, Gloria, Congressman Gloria in Virginia. And I, I can't remember if I wrote my Senator or not, but <coughs> excuse me. I, it was just, one of those things where I, I really didn't know where to turn because of my issue was nuanced because of the, the cropped ears and docktail issue and trying to pass a, a law in another state um, or, or understanding a law in another, in another country rather. And so I, I think that's also part of this is just like you said, the importance of research and understanding yeah. what, how big the problem is. What is the research that can justify the scope of the problem? And I think that because you came prepared with your, with the facts, you had the receipt, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, you, yeah, you did. There was anybody, <laughs> any, anything anyone could say, you had it all there. Um, so now that the president has signed uh, the NDAA, how, how, what's next? So that's the question of the hour, <laughs> right? Um, so what is next from the, not the advice from the guidance that I was given is that it's going to go dependent on the branches of service. So the branch, the different branches of service are going to release their guidance on how they want to essentially create their own protocol on this. Um, For the Marine Corps, I'm pretty sure we're going to get a more admin that's going to basically detail how we can utilize this new benefit for active duty families. And it's really important for me to say active duty families because I get a lot of questions of does this apply for civilians working on military bases? And we've gotten that question a lot. It is not, this is strictly for active duty families or uniform personnel services. So this includes the Coast Guard, um, which is also very important because they're not under DOD. So. Right. Um, that was, but that was, that was a discussion we had. That was another on the table discussion Mm -hmm. about like the Coast Guard. I'm like, they still get sent to Oconus locations. Yep. Actually, I I know that until I started researching this. So I was just like, we got to include these guys too, you know, uniform personnel. Do you know why they didn't decide to use the JTR, the joint travel regulations? I don't know. It would make total sense. I mean, that's where all the other entitlements are for moving um so to me that would be the most logical next step is to put it in the jtr um they might they still might like this is um like this is so new right and we're still it's january 1st now so everyone is probably still on leave (laughs) so they're gonna come back and be like hey this just happened and now we have to implement this right? right so i would say i would give it like I know I'm going to be watching this very closely. Uh, I know any changes or any proposed guidelines from any branch of services that gets released, we're going to post it on our page. Um, and personally, I'm giving this two weeks to see like if anyone has started, you know, making the proper changes for this. Um, right. If they don't, then I'm start making some phone calls to see how we can, how we can, you know, it's new for everyone. 
right? So we, we have to be patient um, and trying to see what's the best procedures to move forward. Um, and, I, and I think one of the most heartbreaking thing of this whole thing are the people that just pcs like right after this was signed or right before right before this was signed um because it's not retroactive it's not going to be retroactive but again the guidance that i received is it could be dependent on the branch of service but i would not i would not hold my hopes high on that yeah yeah it just it makes sense for it to be in the jtr or like transportation command because they're the ones who do all the pcs moves it would make sense that they have it um and so yeah it's really going to take people like yourself and and i'll be following up as well um to to ensure and you know give it some time and and, and give 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 everything a chance to sort of shake out but um what an incredible benefit for for military families, Liz. I mean, you really, you you really made a difference, and and it's 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 something that I'm sure you're going to be able to look back on, you know, 20 years from now, and and still reflect that. Wow, we we actually made that happen. I'm still in shock. <laughs> like I'm still, um, like I remember, it was Thursday night, and the staffer texted me, and all it said was congratulations. And I was like, this could only mean one thing. <laughs> and I'm like, did it pass? Like with a million question marks. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, yes, yes, it passed. It just passed the Senate. And um, I did not sleep that night. I did not sleep. I immediately like text my staff and I just like, oh my gosh, it passed. <laughs> like it passed the Senate on this way to the president's desk. And it was just, it's just so crazy because I cannot tell you. Uh, I, I think my, that my number one advice in this whole advocacy process is get very comfortable with hearing the word no. Because you're going to be told no so many times. And it really does take that one yes. You know, and Senator Booker for me was that one yes. And if you don't know about Senator Booker's background, he's like a really big animal advocate. Yes. So it kind of fit that this would fall into his wheelhouse. And so I was very optimistic going in already because I had done my research. <laughs> you know, I had like, okay, you know, this looks like it would be a good match for him as a senator to take on this issue, right? So, you know, like I said, just like that one, yes. And he had faith in me. Uh, he called me. He called me the next day personally. Um, and, you know, to congratulate me, like, you know, and I will never forget what he said. He said that, like, you know, thanks thanks to your fight, um, we have made a generational difference. And that really, really, really struck to me because it didn't realize the scope of the matter. You know, that until if, you know, this is going to stay in law until unless someone fights against it. But they until won't. that happens, that's that's going to be there, you know, so Liz, it's pretty cute. incredible. It's 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 amazing. It's not I mean, there are things that happen for animals that um, are are just monumental. And, and this bill and, and this ability I and mean, what you did like you said, you you were you're you're like I, I said in my my notes. This will impact millions of people, because it's not just the military families; it's the shelters that are going to have less abandoned pets. There's going to be a marked difference. I believe I really believe this between people who will now not be forced to to give up their pets or leave them behind, and 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 I mean it's just, and I don't think that people even realize right now the impact of what you did. I think it's still so new, but I think once this reimbursement starts happening and once like military.com and the Navy Times and all these other people start to report that this got passed, people are going to be like, oh my God, really? We get money back for our pets? Like, yeah. it's just, it's unheard of that this happened. And it is such a monument to you and your work. And so tell me what's next for the nonprofit. Like, 
where, where, where are you going next as a, as a professional, as an advocate? Like what, what's next for you? Well, now I feel I can fully focus on finishing grad school. <laughs> uh, but no, we, we actually talked about this as a team. Like, where do we go next, right? Because this was the, the primary mission of the organization was to get a permanent change to happen across the board. Check. We did it. Right. right. Um, but we are still accepting donations because we want to help the families who were who are not going to get retroactive pay. So we still want to issue grants for families who are affected by pet transportation costs. And then as far as advocacy goes, um, our next big tackle is going to be airport reform. And I've actually already started reaching out and I have a, I had a really good conversation with Pia about Good. this um because during so one of the things that we do as an organization is we offer extremely low cost uh, pet transportation taxis um where we go to the airport and we pick up the pets on some of these families behind sometimes we'll foster them like i think i've had like three fosters that we fostered in my in my own home until their family came back from overseas locations um and and we do that because we understand on a personal level like how hard it is you know like you have to send your dog behind because they have this window before the heat embargo or the cold embargo and so we get it um but while we were doing these pickups especially like here in virginia i saw that they just kept the pets in this giant warehouse super noisy and just one big industrial fan pointing at the crates. Yeah. And then I had a really, um, it wasn't a traumatic experience, but it was an eye-opening experience. Um, we received the call that a, a dog had arrived at 11 a.m., but we didn't get him into our procession until 4 p.m. for four hours this dog was just sitting in a crate because we had to wait for specific specific paperwork to go through these channels and then they had lost the dog they didn't lose the dog the the, the plane had just parked in a different um a different section of the airport than they had originally inspected and i mean it was just chaotic i thought it was so unsat that this poor dog had to sit there for an additional four hours after arrival because these people couldn't get their paperwork together at the right time and at the time my admin assistant Kayla she was with me and so I looked at her and I was like because I get really emotional when it comes to like pets and dogs so I need someone to kind of just like be the you know like the balance for me like am i overreacting but is this just not right it's just like no it's not right it's, it's just not right and so we took note of this incident we've since then had gone back and done more airport pickups not as bad as that one incident but still not as smooth and just having these pets sitting there at the airport for a long period of time in this dark noisy warehouse after already being in the belly of a plane like moving overseas adding more trauma to these poor dogs and cats yeah. i'm like okay no we need a we need to change this we, we need do. to have like temperature control room or something i don't know no don't there's, know. There's, there's ways that they can modify the airports i mean yes. i have a horror story when we flew um overseas the we had a layover in new york and the, I don't know if you know anything about New York, but there's a zillion different terminals mm -hmm. and getting from one terminal to another is, is, it's just virtually impossible with the time periods that you have for layovers. Yeah. And the one pet relief area was closed. Of so we had to go out of the terminal, out into this industrial drop off, pick off. It was totally stressful. I mean, Jada was just, she didn't pee the entire trip overseas. Aww. So she went like 14 hours without using the restroom. And it really scared us because we thought she might get like a, a urinary tract yeah. infection. And we found out later 
that at Heathrow, there wasn't even a pet relief area. So it would be interesting to know, like, what are the requirements for pet relief areas? Mm -hmm. In the case of the place where we had the layover, I think it was down for maintenance or something. People mm -hmm. were pissed. I mean, some people were taking their dogs right outside the door of the pet relief area and they were just letting their animals use the restroom. Oh my gosh. Outside the door. They were so upset that they had closed down that pet relief area. And so to your point, um, the best people that I, I would say too to partner up with would be the international, I think it's the International Association of Pet Transporters. Yes. That's where Carrie Mendoza, Mendoza, she's with Island Pet Movers, good friend of mm -hmm. mine who was also like yourself, incredibly helpful in, in counseling me through this whole process. Mm -hmm. It was basically you, Carrie, and a, a, a woman named Danique, uh, who does a, has a pet uh, service dog organization, who, who were instrumental in helping me through all this uh, as I was dealing with it. But um, they deal with that stuff in and, in, in and out every single day. And the, the stuff that Carrie tells me, I mean, absolutely, we need to, we need to fix the airlines. Mm -hmm. We need to fix the unscientific yeah. studies on the bands. Um, we need to make the airports pet friendly. Mm -hmm. um, we're making. So, I look a lot at um, Air France um, or and Spain. Those are two of the countries that I feel have been the most pet friendly when oh, it comes to air travel. So I'm so right now I'm, I'm on research stage, and so what I'm trying to research is, and if anyone has any tips or connections with these airlines, please contact me. Um, is how how they make it work, yeah. like especially Air France and Lufthansa, 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 yeah, Lufthansa, yes, incredible. Like one of, like I, I mentioned earlier, we have our pet companion service. We had one of our volunteer escort a uh, golden doodle uh, and a cat from mm -hmm. Texas to Germany. And she was like, no issues. They, you know, they waited the dog and he went in the hold. And then the cat was uh, in cabin with her. And nobody blinks an eye. Like they, they make pet travel such a norm. And mm -hmm. it is such a like a stress relief knowing that there there is an airline, and I I recommend that airline to so many people. It's like if you have an, any issue, this is the airline you go to because they have pet transportation with air travel like lockdown. Same thing with with Spain, like going in, going to Spain. Um, and we have we have bases in Spain. It is so pet friendly. When I went there, every restaurant like had a pet area. I was like. Mm -hmm. I would not mind living here if I knew that my dog was going to live the way these dogs live, you know, yeah. so I'm kind of, I'm researching these countries that have the most pet friendly, pet flexible air transport, car transport, and just like pet, uh, pet area, like pet friendly areas and to try to kind of up with a model or like examples to be like, yep. hey, maybe we can model, we can model this airport or we can model yep. this airline. Right. Uh, but I also understand that we are we're still coming back from COVID, so I, I'm very cognizant of like the economy and the situation. But again, I am in the research stage of this sure. right now. But that is some that is that is our next that is our next agenda. I love it, absolutely love it. Um, I definitely am happy to connect you with Carrie. She has a lot to say on this subject. I mean, she, <laughs> she schooled me on our podcast together about. Um, how it really wasn't in the in the incentives of the airlines to make things more pet friendly because to be frank, some of the airlines just don't want to deal with the risk. Mm -hmm. It's easier for them to ship cargo than it is to ship animals. And, yeah. and there's so much risk. But the way I see it is, you know, there was a time when, you know, even flying people was a risk. I mean, we, we evolve as a society and as we evolve, we realize the importance of, of pets for people's mental and physical well-being. And 100%. I think that, yes, and I just think that this is, this is where we have to move forward as a society is by taking care of our animals. So yeah, we're, the, we're the voices for them. They don't know. They don't know what's happening, right? right. And so um, I, you know, I, I look at them and I'm like, you know, I, I cannot... I cannot picture life without them.
like a cat. No. And then I understand there's people who are cat people and then there's people who are not dog people and <laughs> that's okay. That's totally, totally okay. Um, trust me, I've, I have heard it all when it comes to fighting, uh, when it comes to the them saying no. But at the end of the day, I know in my heart, I know in my gut, you know, like, mm, this just was not right. And we we did it, guys. Like, we, we made a difference. I love it. Absolutely love it. Well, Liz, thank you so much. Um, if anybody wants to check out your nonprofit and, and learn more about you, where can they find you? Leave no pause behind USA.org. And we are leave no, pause be leave no pause behind USA on all social media platforms. That awesome. is Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Sweet. All right, Liz, I'm going to go on full screen and I'll meet you backstage. Um, okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> and thank you guys for joining me tonight. Again, Happy New Year. Uh, I'll be coming at you guys again next week. Um, I hope you enjoyed this uh, holiday break. I know I have. And I just hope that you enjoy the rest of your day with friends and family. Have a great night and I'll talk to you all later. Bye now.